Well, lovely to come and worship together. God is good, and it's good to worship Him. Uh, we are continuing today our series we call Prepare, based on the Apostle Paul's letter, second letter to the Corinthians. And um, today's theme is Prepare Financially, Do Not Worry, is what we're focusing on today. It would be really helpful if you haven't got a Bible to grab one of the church Bibles, some things I want to show you, just in terms of the, how the text is set on the page. So go and grab a Bible, maybe a couple of guys can help pass them around, so that would be awesome. Now we are preparing, we're preparing for January the 8th, those of you who are new here this morning don't know about this, uh, sorry to repeat though, for those who are obviously very aware, is that we are doing a big building project at our other site at Alder Road, and January the 8th is the planned launch date when we will be meeting in two congregations. And we obviously have a, a lot to prepare for as we get ready for that. Um, I did a, Michael Foy and I did a little update video this week of how the building's looking. So on the church mailer this Tuesday will be a video giving you the, the latest video walkthrough of what the new building will look like. So if you're not on the mailer or if you normally ignore it this week, take a look at the emails because there'll be a video update there of how the building is, is looking. And we really do ha- need to have this, this church planting mindset as we prepare for January the 8th, that we're not just merely kind of shuffling the pieces on the chessboard, but we are starting a new thing at Alder Road where we haven't been meeting for a long time and it's going to be a new day here at Flavour 2. So we've got to have that, got to prepare ourselves for that kind of mentality. And a key area of preparation is around I, our finances. And that's Obviously, a hugely relevant subject. It's very relevant in terms of practical needs for us as a church, and as we have sought to raise huge sums of money to do the building project we're doing, it's a practical issue for us. It's obviously also very relevant for us personally with all that is going on. One of the headlines this week, between all the other crazy headlines, was a survey showing that 85% of people are feeling concerned about the cost of living. I thought, only 85%? Uh, but most of us, most people are feeling concerned about cost of living issues at the moment. So this is a very relevant subject. And so here's a verse from 2 Corinthians, which is a statement, but I want you to hear it as a question. Absolutely read it. 2 Corinthians 9 verse 8. We're page 1164 in the church Bibles. God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in Every good work. So here's a question for us. This is a question. Do we believe that? Where this verse says, all, 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 every. Do we believe it? God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Here is a question. Do you believe it? It's a very real question for us at the moment with all that we are facing with the cost of living crisis. Think of friends in other parts of the world who also happen to deal with this question. I think of my friend Scott Marks, who I saw in Cyprus the other week, who's from Zimbabwe, and talking to him, we're understandably feeling anxious about 10% inflation rates, and in Zimbabwe at the moment they're dealing with 1,000% inflation rates. It's a question for Scott. Scott, do you believe that God is able to bless you abundantly in all things, at all times, having all that you need? You will abound in every good work. Think of... uh, my friends Edward and Frida Beriah from Kenya who are saying that they're experiencing the worst drought in living memory in that whole uh, eastern coast of, of Africa. We get occasional bits of news, it's not much reported, but throughout Kenya, Somalia, terrible famine, loads of people dying because of the drought. Edward and Frida, do you believe 
that in all things at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. It's such an important question for us, and it's an important question because of what it assumes. That the, leave, leave the verse up there. The, 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 the first word in the verse is God. God is able to do this. God is able to bless you abundantly. And this shows us that when it comes to questions of practical provision and how we think about money and how we act with our finances, this is primarily a spiritual issue. It's primarily a spiritual issue, how we handle our finances, our resources, these questions of provision. And that's a real mind shift for many of us because we tend to think that these are just practical issues concerning what job we have, what the mortgage rates are doing, how the markets are behaving, whoever might be chancellor this week, today, tomorrow, who knows. Uh, these are the things which affect our finances, and of course they do. Those things are real. They have very real practical impacts. I was hearing about a, a church I know in Peterborough this week, which have a very large building which is powered entirely by electricity, and they're facing bills which have risen 700%, something like £80,000 a year or something they're paying on electricity now. That, that's, that's real. So the impact of the Chancellor and whoever he or she might be and the inflation rates and everything else is real. But the really key thing for us is not the interest rates, it's not who the Chancellor is, but it's who God is. That's the key thing for us to understand in all this. So let's ask the question again. Do you believe that God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you'll abound in every good work? That is the question for us. Now, this, this verse comes near the end of what is the longest section of teaching in the New Testament on money. If you've got a Bible, you can see chapter 8 starts the collection for the Lord's people, and then through to chapter 9, two whole chapters in this letter to the Corinthians about giving. It's the longest section of teaching. Uh, Thirteen chapters in the book of 2 Corinthians, two chapters of that book are about Giving. And that means, must mean that this is an important issue. It means that it isn't just a practical matter, but it is a spiritual matter. And the Apostle Paul's concern for the Corinthians, the reason why he's writing this letter to them, is that he wants them to grow in Christian maturity. He wants them to more fully understand what it is to be a disciple, to be a, a follower of Jesus, to work that out consistently, clearly, uh, ongoingly. He wants them to understand the transforming power and eternal hope that knowing Christ means. And two chapters of that are about the subject of giving. And that must mean that this is not an optional extra for disciples of Jesus Christ. And of course, it's not just in these two chapters in 2 Corinthians that we get this kind of teaching. Jesus makes this very explicit as well. Turn back to page 971 in your Bibles to Matthew 6, Matthew 6, 24, Jesus says, No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Now, this makes things crystal clear, that our attitude towards money is primarily a spiritual issue. It's primarily spiritual. You cannot love God and love money. You cannot serve God and serve money. It's a spiritual issue. Who are you going to love? Who are you going to trust? Who are you going to serve? And then Jesus goes on to say this, Therefore I tell you, do not worry 
about your life. What you will eat or drink or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? So this is the next question. Do not worry. Do not worry. How are you doing at that? I think this is perhaps the least helpful thing that Jesus ever said. Do not worry. You know what it's like. You are worrying about something. The thing you don't want to hear is somebody saying, don't worry, it'll be fine. That's not what I want to hear. I want to be confirmed in my worry. And you're telling me not to worry. And Jesus says to us, do not worry. Now, confession time. Preaching to myself here. You ready to hear my confession? I think of all the things that I worry about, probably money is right at the top of the list. I think, to be honest, over the years, if I were able to add up how many hours I've spent worrying about money, I'd be pretty horrified. I think in terms of things that can cause me anxiety, money is probably high. And there's some reasons for that. Because of my psychology, I have a strong sense of responsibility. It's deep inside me. I feel profound responsibility for things. And so I feel a profound sense of responsibility for the financial health and well-being of this church. And I feel a profound sense of responsibility for the financial well-being of my family. And so a sense of responsibility can cause me to be anxious about money. I also have a strong desire to get things done. I want to make things happen. And it's money, often, which is the tool which enables us to get things done. And I like to have fun. And that often costs money. And Jesus says, do not worry. Do not worry. And 2 Corinthians says, God is able to bless you abundantly. So that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. So what are we going to do about this? Now, there are lots of aspects, of course, which we could draw out. And this is one of those subjects which we do teach on fairly regularly. We have to because it's so important. All kinds of things we could draw out about stewardship and financial responsibility and all the rest. There are two things, just two essential things I want to draw out this morning. First is that we need to believe God. And the second thing is we need to be generous. So firstly, let's believe God. For most of us, our emotional state waxes and wanes in response to the things that we trust. If the things we trust in seem to be doing well and serving us well, then we're emotionally buoyant. If the things that we rely on don't seem to be serving us well, we can be emotionally down. We'd all like to be thermostats. Thermostats set the temperature. The reality is that most of us are thermometers. Thermometers reflect the temperature. And that's why 85%, only 85% of people at the moment feel concerned about the cost of living crisis, because we reflect the temperature around us. We reflect, and financially, we reflect personally what is happening in the wider economy. And think about all the messages that we have received constantly over the past six years, beginning with Brexit particularly. Brexit, the pandemic, the war in Ukraine, energy costs, food costs, inflation. The messaging has been constant and relentless. And it's very, very hard not to take our personal temperature from those readings, from all those messages which come to us. But if you are a Christian, there is a more fundamental reading to take your temperature from, and that is God's. Let's take our reading from God. So let me remind us what you've signed up for. If you here this morning claim to be a follower of Jesus, a Christian, 
Among other things, these are some of the things which you have signed up for and claim to believe. So let me remind you about what some of those things are. You claim to believe that God is unchanging. And that means that whatever is going on in the world, with the crazy political situation of the UK, with the war in Ukraine, with inflation, with everything else, God himself does not change. And we take our temperature reading from him. You claim to believe that God is love. And that means that we can trust him, that he does love us, that he loves you, he knows you, cares about you, he knew you before the beginning of time and he's adopted you as your child. We claim to believe that God is sovereign. That means that God is in charge, that God is more powerful even than Xi Jinping, more powerful than anyone in the world. God is sovereign, he has control, that in the end, the Lord is the one who controls things. We believe that your life is hidden with Christ in God. It means that we have this place of security that we're held fast, held tight by God in heaven's vaults. We believe that if God is for us, who can be against us? That whatever is happening, God stands beside us. God helps us. We believe that we are Christ's ambassadors. This means that we are meant to represent Christ to the world, not merely reflect the world. We believe that we live by faith, not by sight. That means that we don't just swallow the messages of the world and respond to those. We, we act in faith in the God who loves us, saves us, in, and is our sovereign king. We believe that he has delivered us and he will deliver us again. That is our testimony. That's the story of the Christian church. And we believe and know that we are indwelt and empowered by the Holy Spirit, that God himself is at work in us and amongst us and through us, that God is here with us in this room this morning, filling us, indwelling us. Jesus somehow though we can't see him, is walking amongst the rows amongst us this morning. These are some of the things that we believe. These are some of the things that you've signed up for, if you're a Christian. Which means that our temperature needs to be set by those things and not by all the messages that we hear from the world. And of course, the challenge then is to put our belief into practice. The challenge is to believe our belief. As the man who came to Jesus once said, Lord, I believe, help me. In my unbelief. This means that we need to cultivate practices that help us ground our belief, that help belief to grow, help belief be put into practice. And we do live in a context at the moment where pretty much every message we receive is that everything is going to be a disaster. It's all going to be a disaster. That's the message that we're receiving constantly at the moment, and it's been like that now for years. And so in that kind of environment, we have to fight for belief. We do. We have to fight for the things we believe in. We have to hold, fight to hold on to what we know to be true, that God is unchanging, that he is love, that he's sovereign, that we're hidden with him, that he's for us, that we're his ambassadors, we live by faith, he's delivered us, and his Holy Spirit is at work amongst us. We have to fight for those things. Look at what Jesus, look at how Jesus teaches. This is why I want you to have a Bible in front of you here on page 970 in these Bibles. Look at the, look at the, the context. The Jesus verses I read start at verse 24 of Matthew 6. But look at what Jesus teaches before. Uh, there's a whole bunch of teaching which can seem like random thoughts almost, but if you follow it through, each of these parts of the teaching that Jesus brings here are very much connected. And before teaching uh, from the verses... I just read about, about money. Jesus teaches about prayer and about fasting. 
teaches about prayer and fasting. Now, what are prayer and fasting about? Prayer and fasting are about deliberately connecting with God. It's about the fight for faith, the fight for belief. It's an intentional, a deliberate connection with the Lord. It's a deliberate turning of our whirling minds away from the constant news cycle and towards God. That's what prayer and fasting are meant to do. And so Jesus taught his disciples how to pray in the words of what we call the Lord's Prayer. And when we pray, there is a conscious, a deliberate turning of our thoughts away from all the messages of the world towards God, getting our temperatures set by him rather than by the world. And we start with what we believe, Father. This is how Jesus taught us to pray, our Father in heaven. Father, when we pray, we're coming to God, we believe is our Father who loves us, cares for us, is tender towards us, who loves his children. We state what it is we most desire, or what we should most desire, which is your kingdom come. So we look at our world. That's got to be our prayer, hasn't it? Your kingdom come. Don't we want to see God's rule more visibly evident in the craziness and chaos of our world? God, your kingdom come. It means we come and we ask for what we need because God is not indifferent to our practical needs. Give us this day our daily bread. That is a prayer that we are authorized to pray. It's a prayer that Jesus taught us to pray. Lord, in this current situation, when 85% of people are concerned about the cost of living crisis, Lord, give us this day our daily bread. It means that we recognize our need for God's grace. Forgive us our debts. Forgive us our sins. We recognize we need God's grace. We need God's grace to be merciful to us, to help us, to forgive us. And we ask for protection. Lord, deliver us from evil. These are evil days. Lord, in evil days, would you deliver us from evil? Now, praying like that, consciously turning our minds to the Lord like that is is very different from just plunging into the Instagram, Facebook, uh, 24-hour news torrent, which is where so many of us spend so much of our time. And, And we need to do that. We need to deliberately, consciously turn our thoughts to the Lord if we are to hold on to our belief. So Jesus teaches about Money teaches about treasures in heaven and not worrying. And before he gets there, he teaches about prayer and about fasting. Because if you're going to think about your money rights, and if you're not going to worry about your money, then you need first to know who God is, which means coming to God and connecting with him. A few weeks back, the elders and trustees had a day of prayer and fasting, especially to bring some financial issues before the Lord, to ask his help and to try and turn our minds from just the practical stuff to coming before God and laying things before him and asking him for his help. And in the new year, once we start in two congregations, we're planning to have three weeks where we uh, teach through the Lord's Prayer over three weeks and call the church the three weeks of prayer and fasting. We need to do this. We need to intentionally, deliberately turn our minds so that the temperature that we're sat at is God's temperature, not the temperature of what the world is saying to us. Now, cultivating belief in God like this is a vital way of preparing financially. It's a vital way of combating worry. There are patterns that we need to cultivate which will turn us from worry, from anxiety, turn us towards God, will help us set our temperature right. Andrew Wilson, in his book, God of All Things, talking about this, says this, I still get anxious sometimes 
I've noticed some patterns. My level of anxiety tends to be higher when I spend a lot of time with screens or money and lower when I spend a lot of time with trees or children. I need to work it out. Now, it might be that spending time with children, in your case, makes me more anxious. <laughs> uh, and, and maybe you've got a tree phobia. <laughs> oh, the trees! That's so scary! <laughs> you need to work it out. What are, what are the patterns that raise anxiety and worry for you around these practical issues of finance, provision, and the rest? And what are the things which help turn down the dial? What are the things which help you connect with God so your temperature is getting set by him rather than by the messages of the world? Work it out. What things help strengthen your belief and steer you from worry? Do those things. Do those things. So let's believe. Let's believe that God is able to bless us abundantly so that in all things at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Believe God. Second thing we need to do is be generous. The instruction we see here in 2 Corinthians 9 is that God is able to bless us so that we will have all that we need so that, so that you will abound in every good work. That is a crucial thing to see. Why is it that God blesses us? It's so that we can abound in every good work. The point is not just that we are okay, but that by God's generosity to us, we help others be okay as well. God blesses us in order that we might be generous. Now, next week, at the moment, I'm planning to speak more into this, particularly in terms of how we are generous to the poor. But... um, just a few things on this for this morning. Uh, generosity is so important for us. God blesses us in order that we might be generous to others. And, and, and that way of thinking frames our financial, our practical financial policies here at Gateway. So, for example, everything that we're given, everything that we as a congregation give for the functioning of this church, we then give 10% of tithe away to others. That's just, that frames our financial way of doing things. We believe that God is generous to us. We want to be generous to others. We think the tithe is a great place to, to start that and demonstrate that. So a tenth of what we receive as a church, we give away to other people. And of course, we also have other times special offerings where we, we give all of that away to other people. And so as a, as a community, as a church, we want to reflect this as well as personally and individually. And if you read through 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, these two chapters, What the Apostle Paul is really driving at here is this culture of generosity. What does it mean to be mature believers? What does it mean to believe God? You Corinthians, with all the problems there have been, all the problems there have been between the church and Paul himself, all the mess that have been made, what does it mean to be mature? What does it mean to be godly, to be Christ-like? What does it mean to have your temperature set by God and not by the world? Well, a key thing is that you are generous. 2 Corinthians 9, verse 10. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. The point is that you are blessed, you will be blessed, so you can be more generous. Now the context of of these instructions, the context of these two chapters... 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, is that an offering was being collected from the churches which was then going to be taken to help the poor believers in Jerusalem. And think about how this dynamic had 
was working, that the gospel had started in Jerusalem. That was the city in which Jesus was crucified and raised to new life. The first church was in Jerusalem. The church then spread out throughout the Mediterranean region. And now, a number of years later, the Apostle Paul is involved in gathering financial resources from the churches to take back to Jerusalem because the believers in Jerusalem were struggling and under pressure financially. And that's why he says that through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God because Paul and his friends are planning to carry this offering, this gift, back to the believers in Jerusalem. Paul and his apostolic band are a conduit for God's generosity demonstrated by God's people. And we, of course, have similar experiences to that still today. So a lot of where our giving would go actually would be to help the support of mission church, planting church strengthening, and to help the poor. A lot of our giving ultimately is focused through to our poor brothers and sisters, in, particularly in parts of Africa and uh, parts of Asia, believers who have very limited resources and where our pounds can make a big impact. So we have this grace gift, this conduit of God's generosity to us, which flows and blesses other people, just as was happening here in the first century, the first churches. There's something more that we need to see about what generous living means. It's not just a case of being able to bless other people. There's something which is rather beautiful that Paul is describing here. The word generous is used here. Generous. You might be generous on every occasion, and your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. That's the, the Greek word there, haplotes, is normally interpreted as simplicity. Normally interpreted as simplicity. Here in 2 Corinthians, it's been interpreted as generous. Normally it's interpreted as simplicity. Now, a couple of Bible commentators explain it this way. Uh, first of all, Guthrie says, the term normally speaks, the term, this term Simplicity, here translated as generous, the term normally speaks of a single-hearted, rigorous integrity or frankness, a singleness of mind and heart, and their commitment to God's program. And God's program has to do with giving to poor brothers and sisters in need. And then Mark Seaford says, especially in this context, this context of 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, it is clear that Paul understands giving as a reality of receiving and giving forth an openness to God and to one's neighbor in which there are no hidden motives of personal gain. It is entirely to his point that he characterizes giving as simplicity. This simplicity is life with an open hand to receive from God and give forth to one's neighbor. And understanding that way really, I think, makes the text pop, makes it come alive. Paul says, your generosity is going to be a cause of thanksgiving to others. Your straightforwardness in this, your simplicity in this, your open-handedness in this is going to be a cause of thanksgiving, a cause of blessing. This is very different. This simple generosity is very different from how the world gives. Worldly giving almost always comes with a quid pro quo. You give in order to get something back. I'll scratch your back, you scratch mine. It goes all the way through from, of course, the worst, most egregious types of corruption and backhanders through to the things which people do which really are to look good, to get some kind of personal kudos. That almost always defines worldly giving. As Christians, we're called to a simplicity of generosity, a, a 
a single-hearted, rigorous integrity or frankness, a singleness of mind and heart, that our hands are open to God and our hands are open to our neighbor. We're called to simple living, to open-handedness, to genuine generosity. God gives to us and we give to others. It's not the clenched fist of the worldly attitude to money where fingers have to be pried in order to release it. The Christian attitude is one of simplicity, open-handedness, open-handed to God, open-handed to others. A generosity which flows, flows first from God. He sets the temperature on this. We need to respond to that temperature. We need to have our temperature set to the temperature of God. What is God like? Well, God is simple in his generosity to us. Unmerited favor, free grace, the promise of salvation, of life with him. My life is hidden with Christ in God. I have now become an ambassador of Christ, and so have you if you've put your trust in him. Amazing grace. That's what needs to set our temperature in this so there's a simplicity and open-handedness about us as well. And this is a test. It is a test of faith. It's a test of, of belief. Despite all we're hearing in the world at the moment, despite the pressures that we might be feeling, and I really don't want to minimize those because I know that in this room, many of us will be feeling those pressures. Many of you will be feeling real pressure at the moment, and these things are real. The bills do have to be paid. The kids do have to be fed. All that stuff goes on. This is real. But despite all that, despite all we're hearing, will we keep our hands open? What's going to set our temperature? Gateway Church, what's going to set our temperature? Is it going to be the Lord? Or is it going to be the messages of the world? We, we, need, to be prepared. we need to be prepared. We need to be prepared for this winter. We need to be prepared for what God wants to do through us in order to bless others more. Think what the Word of God says. Think what Jesus said. Do not worry. Do not worry. Think what the Apostle Paul writes to the Corinthians. God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Should we pray? Let's ask God to set the temperature for us. Help us in this. Would you stand with me? And let's, let's pray as the band come back. So, if you came in here this morning worried about money, about the cost of living crisis, don't feel guilty about that. It's not surprising. But open your heart to the Lord now, and let's ask him to change the temperature. If you're worried about lack, not having enough, don't feel guilty about that. It's understandable. But let's come to him and say, yes, we'll trust you that you are able to bless us abundantly, that we might bless others. Let's pray. Lord, I pray for us. I pray for us, Lord. I pray for us in this particular moment in our, in our history. Lord, we know we can make all the comparisons that, yeah, compared with different parts of the world and different times of history, we're still rich and think about 1,000% inflation in Zimbabwe. It's unimaginable. But Lord, we know, know the realities which are real for us in our context this time and how they do seem to be this does seem to be a time when there are more pressures, more challenges than perhaps we have known for a long time. And so we do come to you, Lord. We, I come to you, Lord, and we lay this before you and ask that you would, in your kindness, you'd, you'd be the one who changes the thermostat in our hearts.
and that the temperature we reflect would be the heart of God, not the messages of this world. So, Father, I pray for my friends here this morning who are worried, anxious, that, Jesus, they would hear your instruction, do not worry. And wouldn't hear that as something which brings condemnation, but as a message which brings life and hope. That we do come to the living God. We come to our Father. Come to our Father. And we do pray, Lord, let your kingdom come. And we do say, Jesus, give us this day our daily bread. And we do say, Lord, thank you so much. You do forgive us. And we look to you, Lord. Pray the, the temperature of this church as we head into this winter would not be set by the temperature of the world, but by the radiant light of the risen Savior, Jesus Christ, who rules and reigns and holds us safe. In your name, Jesus, we ask it. And all God's people said...